Summer is not over, so we're still in the middle of our summer series that we've been covering, and pastor's been talking to you, and you've, and you've heard stories about Elijah and Gideon and Jacob and Esau, and last week he, he spoke to you guys about, who remembers? Somebody yell it out. Thank you. One person remembered. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that word. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar last week, you learned in about pride. And so, to, uh, you know, sometimes and we, what we wanted to do was we wanted to, we really prayed and we wanted to bring up stories that a lot of us are super familiar with. You know, when I got saved in 1980, I, I was just so on fire for the Lord. I told my pastor there, I said, uh, Brother Van, that was his name, Van Horn was his name. I said, Brother Van Horn, what, what can I do? What can, I just want to tell people about Jesus. He said, get in the nursery and, and serve in there. And so that's where I started. I started serving in the nursery and kids ministry. And, and here it is 40 years later. And I'm still, <laughs> I'm still doing some kids ministry. And, you know, I love it. I'm so thankful. But one thing I notice is when you start telling, when you say to kids, hey, today I'm going to teach you this story. If it's something they know or they've heard before, you know what they always say to me? Oh, somebody said it. What do they say? I've heard that before. Now I've got to put a special spin on it. I've heard that before. I know. And almost like, you know, it's one and done. Like I've heard that. But you know, that's not the way the Word of God is. The Word of God, the Bible says it's living and active. And so these stories, even though they're very familiar to us, they need to rekindle back into our heart the passion to follow after Jesus. And so today I'm going to tackle a super familiar story. I mean, I think that even if you went to a person who hasn't been in church, they've heard the story of Adam and Eve. Yeah. So they've, we've all, they, we've all, a lot of people have heard that. But, you know, the, before I start that, when you think about Adam and Eve and God began the world, each time he created something, he said, it is good. And so here we are after that. And when we look at our world, it is not so good. We live in a lost and dark world. And the Bible says, actually, and Jeremiah says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Isn't that interesting? We live in a time, I mean, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, follow your heart? Have you ever heard anybody ever tell you that? Follow your heart, just Listen to your heart. That's not, what Jer- that's not what the Word of God or Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, no, that thing is wicked. It is desperately wicked. But in our world that is, des- that is evil and lost and dark, you know, right now I looked at this, the statistics and it says there's 8.1 billion people in the world today. 8.1. Out of the most recent studies, it says that 2.6 billion people claim to know Christ or consider themselves Christian. Out of 8 billion, 2.6. 
That's a huge gap. I would say we had a lot of work to do, don't you? There's a lot of people that don't. I mean, and so today, as we get ready to ta- tackle this, I, I just want to r- remind us that, yes, the world is evil, but today, you guys came here, the sun came out, but people will head to, up to the lake, won't they? They'll head to parks, and kids will laugh and have fun, and, and uh, couples will have dinner together, and single people may have dinners together uh, alone. I'm, I'm all by myself right now, so you may hear that a lot. Um, <laughs> me and my little dog. Me and my little dog. Uh, um, anyway, and they'll be talking about fun, fun stuff like love or the day or politics. They might talk about what we need to boycott next or what we can, who we can be mad at. Or how, ma- how many selfies should we take together? They'll be talking about that. But at the same time that all that good is happening, let's not forget that we live in a world that somewhere right now a young man or young woman is being recruited into sex trafficking. And somewhere in the world somebody is being killed because of drugs or because of the sale of drugs. People are being killed because of jealousy or money. Somewhere right now, somebody is being tortured for their faith in Christ or their faith. War zones are in our world where unspeakable things are happening. Uh, A ministry that we've been a part of and supported for years called Metro Ministries. Uh, 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 Bill Wilson, has anybody ever heard of it? Anyway, Bill Wilson, they just were in the Ukraine and because some of the areas that were surrounded and uh, taken over these cities by the Russian soldiers, uh, they actually were able to kind of sneak into these areas and uh, get children out that have been separated or taken. And it was a specific mission to take children out. Over 744 children were taken out in the last few weeks. and the And the things that... He describes seeing, personally seeing children and the tortures that they have received are unspeakable. There's unspeakable wickedness in our world. And I know it's not a surprise to us, but we live in this world that has so much beauty and so much darkness because the reality is darkness isn't just out there. The darkness is in here. And that's why I think Jeremiah is saying that. Our heart is deceitful and wicked. And, but how did, how did we go from a, it is good to this world? Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some of it and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed leaves, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before the serpent shows up, we can see that God had made humans, right? And the first human he made was Adam. He made Adam from, let's do a little Sunday school class. What did he make Adam from? Dirt, the the dust of the ground. And the Bible says that he formed man and then he breathed the breath of life into man. And then we don't know the time frame, but somewhere along the line, he saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So he created a helpmate. He put Adam to night-night. And he takes one of Adam's ribs and he, and he creates woman. And isn't it amazing? We don't know how that creation happens. He doesn't say he uses any barbecue sauce or, or any seasoning. He just takes that rib and he makes this woman. And Adam sees her and goes, whoa, man, that's the woman for me. And so let, let, we see that. That, but that God then places this, them in this beautiful place, not just on earth, but a very special place, a, a place, a paradise called the Garden of Eden. And God is there, and the scripture says that each day he comes and walks and spends time with him. And look at verse, uh, in chapter 2, we can see the instructions that he actually gave. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will what? You will surely die. That's super significant, because here, even in the midst of perfection and beauty and all of this that God made, he still put boundaries up. He's, he's a good God puts boundaries up and crossing those boundaries by disobeying his command would bring a consequence. And so it's really important for us to learn that boundaries don't mean that he's unloving. Boundaries are there because he's a good God and he's been perfect. And we don't know how much time goes by, but then this serpent, the snake comes into the scene And remember, the snake's not the devil. So every time you see a little snake, don't think that's the devil. I had a friend that actually thought that. Uh, But the devil is embodied in the snake. The devil is a created being. He was an angel who was created to worship God, but because he became full of pride, he rebelled and he left. And now his obsession is to do everything that God hates. And to seek everything that, uh, and to destroy everything that God loves. That's his, that's his desire, is to destroy every, and so you have to know that. That's why John 10, 10 says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you because of this. Satan embodied the stake and his motivation from that moment was not good and it was not helpful. Eve should have known who she was talking to. I think anybody that comes up to you and says, the first thing that we hear him say is, did God really say? Listen, if anybody comes up to you and they can't even say hello, 
they're just rude. So she should have known that devil, that devil, that guy's just rude and not polite. He can't even have manners. If somebody comes up to you and they're just like, let me tell you, blah, 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 and starts questioning you, their motives probably aren't great. And listen, so he begins to question Eve and then goes on about questioning the commands of God. See, now, in order for him to question her, we know that he had to probably know the command. That means he either heard when God told Adam or he heard when Adam told Eve. Either way, he is being a nosy little turkey. He wasn't being talked to. And so Satan is aware, though, of that. Why would he question Eve about what God said? Because if he could get Eve to doubt the word of God, then he can get her to doubt the person and the character of God. God, he wants God to, he wanted Eve to distrust and not to believe what God was saying. Because that the root of all sin is what? It is a basic human sin, unbelief. That's why Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Unbelief was his target. If he could get her to not believe, then she, he would, she would question the character of God. You know, we can be that way. We can have unbelief. It's easy to look at Eve and say, I would never be like Eve. But I'm gonna, I want to challenge us today a little bit to say, are we like Eve? Because I think a lot of the, the, the sin that was in Adam and Eve from that day that they disobeyed is in us. Some of us here may be in immoral or illicit relationships. Not because you're lonely, because that's a surface thing. You're in there because you don't believe that you were bought with a high price and that you're to honor God with your body. Some of us don't turn the other cheek because we really don't believe that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Some of us deal with legalism and thinking that we have to do something to make God pleased with us because we don't believe that the cross was sufficient. Sin doesn't just happen to us, though, does it? It's a temptations that come. And Satan was tempting her. Temptation to start. Did God really say? The phrase is just there to imply that there's a possibility that he wasn't telling you the truth, Eve. And what does Eve do when she hears that? Does she run? Does she say, does she do a... Does she do a Chuck Norris kick in the head with that snake? No, the Bible says the, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. Do you guys see what she did? She was unclear on the word of God, and so she added to the word of God. You know, we can do that. 
We can assist the devil and his desires to deceive us because we're unclear of what the word of God said. So Satan didn't have to convince her that God was stricter because she was already believing that God was more strict. In Matthew 4, it tells another encounter of when the enemy, Satan, came and spoke with somebody. Let's look at it. Matthew 4. So we assist the devil. It says, Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after four, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, It is written... Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to a test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left and the angels came and attended to him. Man, what a difference between him and Eve, right? The enemy comes to both, but what a difference. Eve is confused about what God said. Jesus isn't. Jesus didn't add to the word of God. He quoted it. He didn't need to add to the word of God. Jesus knew exactly what the word said. Eve didn't. What Eve didn't realize was that the serpent wasn't just asking her a question because he wanted her response. He wanted to manipulate her. It was all about manipulation because he knew that if he could get her to believe the wrong thing, that she would definitely do the wrong thing. That's his tactic. If you believe the wrong thing, then you'll do the wrong thing. Gary Richmond is, was a zookeeper in Los Angeles for years, and he wrote a book in 1987 called The View from the Zoo. I, I do recommend it because he was a Christian man, and he uh, is telling in the book about how uh, he's paralleling like lessons we can learn from animals, from the animal kingdom, and so it's like little stories. But he, Gary tells in his book, and he gives a Christian perspective, but he tells about a friend of his named Julie. Julie uh, found a little baby raccoon whose mother had died. And so she, Julie decided to take this little raccoon home and take care of it. And Julie was raising it up. And after uh, Gary found out that she had this raccoon in her home for some time, he told her, he said, Julie, raccoons change they have a glandular change at about 24 months and after that they are known to attack their owners and a 30 pound raccoon can totally uh, just tear up a hundred pound dog in a fight so he was warning her he felt compelled he he's telling a warning to his young friend this this little raccoon that you have right now is not going to be the same thing Julie politely listened as he explained to the coming dangers, and she re responded, and I want to say exactly what she said out of the book where he quoted, 
bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie had to go undergo plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when bandit attacked her for no apparent reason. She ended up having to have multiple plastic surgeries because of that. That is sin in a picture. It looks harmless. It's in the disguise. It doesn't look like anything. It looks like something you can control it. That's what Eve is being tempted here with. That's why the Satan says, You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't Satan a liar? I heard somebody even say, he is the father of lies. Jesus tells us that in John. He's, Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him when he lies. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a liar. And he's been lying since that garden. And there in the garden, we see several different lies that he does. The first of the lie is that there's no real judgment. Of course, he doesn't want her to see it. He wants her to think if she just eats it, it's her choice. It's my choice. It's my body. I know what's best for me. I'll take this. Listen. He wants her to think she doesn't have to obey the Lord. She can do what she wants. Isn't that a lie that resonates even today? We believe that we can lie and steal, be unloving, unkind, envious, abusive, greedy. We can be brash with our answers, sexually immoral. We can live lives eating from the tree that God told us not to eat, and God will never do anything. It's a lie. The lie is that God, that the lie is that you can break God's law freely, and He'll never do anything to you. That He won't judge you. And sometimes that lie is wrapped up in the deception of this: God is love. That's a. Listen, that is the truth out of God's word. He is love. But at the same time he is love, he is also just. And because he's just, it's so important to listen. Because we can take the word of God and we can end up thinking, you know, these are just personal suggestions. And I, that, that doesn't really apply for today. After all, my truth... My truth, my truth, my convictions, my belief, and we distort the word of God. We take the word of God and where he's commanding us to be obedient, and we twist it for personal gain. Because really, it's about us. That's what Satan is doing. We live in a society that wants God to be love and not judge. But can I just tell us, it doesn't work that way. And isn't it funny? There's an irony. 
that we're committed to dealing with injustice in the world, and we want, we desperately do not want to see unjust treatment of people. And, and we would be so happy if God would be just on those evil people, but at the same time, we don't want the justice in our own personal lives. Listen, the law without penalty is only advice, and God does not give advice. He gives commands. I'm going to say that again. The law without a penalty is just advice. God isn't giving us advice. The word of God isn't a book of advice. The word of God is for us to grow, to hunger and thirst for his righteousness, that we allow it to change. And listen, the second lie that the enemy wanted us wanted to know was to tell her to believe was that God is a liar. God said, the day you eat of this tree, you will die. Notice he doesn't say you might die. You could die. If you eat three bites, you'll die. If you don't dip it in caramel, you'll die. He doesn't say anything. He says, the day you eat it, you will die. Death would be not eventually. It would be immediate. But that's not what Satan tells her, is it? And so the temptation is to believe him and not believe God. So how are we? Do we believe God? When was the last time you thought God was lying to you? If nothing comes to your mind or you think I'm just crazy for asking that, let me, let me help you a little bit. Because the times when we go to him and we say, God, you haven't heard me pray. We've just called him a liar. Because the scripture says, call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. When he tells you that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Does that change your life? Does that change how you think about people? When he tells you that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think, does that change how you pray? When he commands you to cast all your cares on him for he cares for you, does that have an impact on your burdens? Does it have an impact on your sleep? I hear so many people say, oh, I have so much heaviness. I'm just so heavy. Listen, our fruit, the fruit of our life plays out what we believe. And do we believe that God is telling us the truth? That he is not a man that he would lie. Think about it. We serve a holy God and because he's holy, he cannot sin. And if he can't sin, he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, that means he can't lie to you. And if he can't lie to you, then his promises to you are yes and amen. Walk in that. Don't believe the lies. How would it change us if we really, really believed God? And my prayer today is that you guys walk away not going, that was a nice little nether story. Man, let it not just challenge us, but let it change us. That we stop believing the lies. 
that we believe that God is the one telling the truth. It's not the serpent in the tree. The other, th- the other thing was that sin would define her or defines you. Listen to this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What a thought, right? To eat fruit from a tree and to become like the creator of the tree. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Wisdom, intelligence, power. Anybody who does, is unwilling to disobey God, that's who wouldn't want that. We don't want that. The human flesh never desires to please the Lord. And Satan knew that. Listen, a few years ago, Kanye West, and I know most people in here probably didn't hear this song, <laughs> but quite a few years, he's gone through some things, and we always need to pray for him. But anyway, Kanye, <laughs> Kanye came out with an album, actually, it said, I, that was titled, I Am God. And I, again, I don't think any of us in here probably has heard it, and I'm not going to ask if you did hear it. But, but we're kind of like appalled when we do hear it. Like, are you kidding? Some guy thought he was a God. He was God. Yeah. Who does he think he is claiming to be God? And yet are we equally offended at our own silent attempt to be God? We may not make songs about it or sing it out loud. We do it when we do what we want, when we want how we want. And this, lo- this belief leads us to think that we have complete say of our lives because after all, that's freedom. That's the American way, right? Nobody tells me what to do. Being your own God is the way to happiness is what our, our world would tell you. But friends, that isn't true. That isn't true. It was all a lie. And the devil told Eve that she would be like God, what he didn't tell her. And remember, he's telling her a portion of truth because the reality is all lies look a little bit true. I mean, a good lie looks a little true. And he was telling her, she was going, her eyes were going to be open. That, that did happen. But she would be different. Eve would become, uh, Eve didn't know sin like a doctor knows cancer. That's how God would know, knows it. God looks at sin and he kn- sees it as something he fully understands, that, uh, that he, is, he, can, he dealt with, that he has control over. He can see that. And maybe that's a poor analogy of cancer, but I want to just point out that Eve... When she became the patient, she didn't know sin like a doctor knows it. She became the one who was sick. She was the one deceived. She was the one in need. The devil had lied to her, and he had convinced her that she could be like God. The scripture says, for him... For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created 
by him, and who? And for him. That means you and I. We were created for him. Sin wants to lie to us and say that's not true. There are so many people in our world who look at horoscopes and psychics to ask the future. It always grieves my heart to uh, be in the area where we are and to see that. And even to see um, occasionally new ones pop up. I think, why? They don't know the future. Only God knows the future. Social media can even convince us sometimes that we're godlike, right? We can look at people's lives and see things, and and it's almost like we think we're omnipotent, omniscient. You know, we're all-knowing. We can see everything. But the reality is social media only gives us glimpses. And what it's caused, I I wrote it down, some things that uh, psychology or even connecting with social media, it's caused discontentment, jealousy, envy, People are struggling with depression because of comparison, anxiety, loneliness, because we're seeing everybody in their good life and we don't have it. And it's all often linked to social media and technology. And am I anti-social media? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is it can lead us astray. It can have us believe things that are not true. The truth is we cannot be like God. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That was the lie. She was deceived, and because her deception, she believed the lie, and the lie that the created thing could offer her something more than God. And can we just point out her husband is there? What was he doing? Mowing the yard? (laughs) Naming the monkeys? Talking to him? I don't... What what is he doing? Like, that's your bride. That's your your wife. That's who God... He was to help her, right? He was to cover her. I mean, when he saw her talking, he should have stepped in and be like, Oh, no, you don't. That's a good word for you husbands out there. <laughs> Protect your wives. Don't let them be talking to no death, no sneaky snakes. <laughs> Listen, Eve was deceived, and because of it, and 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 here's Adam. Okay, <laughs> okay, yes, dear. <laughs> so he eats from the tree. And then it sets this whole thing in motion. A whole thing. It was, but notice this before we move on. When Eve looks at the tree, what does she see? Come on, somebody help me in here. She, noticed, she sees everything good about this tree. She sees that it's, it's pleasing to the eye. It's desirable for wisdom. It's good for food. She doesn't see anything negative about it. She only sees, and listen, Genesis 2, that's what God said. He had created the tree for good food and a delight to the eye. The problem was her focus was on the tree. 
and not on the God who made it. Because the reality is, everything she thought that tree would provide was everything that God already was. He's delightful to the eye. He's satisfying to the body. The fear of him is the beginning of wisdom. She didn't need to pursue after a tree. God was all she needed. But when you're in darkness and you're lost, guess what? You're deceived. And we can't, and we, and here she is expecting the created thing to be what God already is. And, it, and what do foolish people, it is really foolish, isn't it? To think she expected that. And what do foolish people do when, when uh, what do foolish people do? Foolish people th- think that they're wise. This is, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they worship, this is what Romans says, they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. It's still happening today. People who worship things. I know, listen, I know that your job may pay you more if you just tell a little lie. I know that if you lie, maybe people will accept you a little bit better. I know that if you compromise and give in sexually, maybe that person will linger a little bit longer, but can I tell you, you don't have to disobey to get those things. You don't have to disobey the Lord. You can honor the Lord, and he, he is all those things. He is your provider. He is the one who can care for you. You don't have to compromise. I just want to remind you of some scriptures. No one is holy like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. Jeremiah says, no one is like you, O Lord. You are great. And your name is mighty in power. In Psalms, it says, whom am I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Listen, God is enough. No matter how good something on this earth is, it's not better than God. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, look at this. Both of them, their eyes were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, how uncomfortable, and covered themselves. Imagine you're Adam and Eve for a minute and your eyes have been open, and now you're aware of your body in a way that you've never had before and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so you cover yourself with leaves, but you're not just covering yourself. You're ashamed to be with the partner that God told you to be free with. It's, an act, it's a glimpse of what sin does even in relationships. Sin made, makes people afraid to be free. And it severs personal sin always has communal effects. Always. And it is so important for us to remember that. We can sometimes think, well, my actions don't affect anybody. Your actions have so much effect. Think of it like a rock in a pond, right? It has effects. Sin broke the fellowship with God, and sin breaks our fellowship with each other. Just like that. They hid. So here they are, they're hiding. It says, the man and the wife heard the sound of God 
as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them, man, where are you? Isn't that interesting? God, I mean, this is, do you think God really didn't know where they were? I mean, come on. This is like when your mom says, did you break that lamp? She knows what you did. She knows. Did you skip school today? And you're like, uh, does she know I school? Or maybe that was just me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you guys didn't have parents that did that, set you up to tell the truth. Am I the only one that did that? Like, do they, do they really know? Your head's going, do they know? Do they know? But what does sin do? Sin causes us to, to want to hide. You know what? The sound of God walking in the day. Isn't that interesting? It's not God running through the garden. Where are you? It's not God thrashing through the garden. All right, I know you losers are out there. He's walking. And he's calling to him. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, he's inviting them, I believe. He's saying, come, come to me. Sin always distorts our view of God. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including the hidden things, whether it's good or evil. We can think that we can hide, but you cannot hide from God. You can hide from your boss, you can hide from your family. You can hide from your pastor. You can hide. You might even hide from your spouse. You might have secret things that are, you're hiding that God has been dealing with you to get. But listen, you cannot hide from God. You can't. Adam and Eve couldn't do it, and you can't. There's no sin that can be hiding, hidden from God. There's nothing. But I want to bring us to, isn't that interesting? He says, where are you? Because God is incredibly patient. He was wanting them to come. Look at Romans 2. It says, don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? He's wanting, he's calling to Adam and Eve. He's saying, Turn from that. Instead, they hide. And we find out that they, they hid themselves in, in the tree. Isn't that interesting? They hide, they hide themselves behind the very thing that ultimately is the one that brought them demise. It was a tree that brought them demise. And now there they are hiding behind the very thing that brought them demise. And that's what we tend to do. We take our sin and we think, nobody will know. Nobody will know. 1 John 1 says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. God help us. We don't, wanna, we don't want that, Lord. We want to confess. 
We, want, we don't want to be like Adam and Eve that hid. At the end of this conversation, God ends up bringing curses upon all those who rebelled. He brings a curse upon the serpent. He brings a curse upon Adam. He brings a curse upon the land. He brings a curse upon Eve. But there in verse 15, uh, starting with verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this curse, are you above all livestock and all the wild animals? You will crawl on your body and you belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will bring enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he, look at this, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the midst of all these curses, God gives a promise. And the promise is, that you will strike this, in, this, this man is going to rise up from, the, from Eve's uh, offspring. And you will strike his heel. He will strike your heel. But can I just tell you, if you've been shopping in the grocery store and you've ever had a little kid pushing the buggy, you know that getting in the hill doesn't take you out, does it? Makes you mad. You guys, nobody else gets smacked in the back of the leg. Yeah. Uh, my kids would push that car and the, wow! Hey, you get hit by that buggy. It's not, it's not taking you out. But you crush a head, that's done. That's done. That's done. Who is this one that, that is promised? Who is this one? Jesus. Jesus. It is Jesus, God's one and only son. And how different he is from the first Adam. So different from the first Adam. Jesus, the one who would be on the cross, bloody, beaten, bruised, and dying for the sins of all the world. He would not focus on losing his own life, but he would focus on the joy that was set before him. He was the one who crushed the head of the serpent. He is the one that is altogether lovely. He is so different from Adam. Romans chapter 5 tells us this. Let me read this. I don't think it's up there. For the sin of this one Adam caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus did what Adam and Eve could not do. He broke the curse. And, and, if, and just in case you think that this message today is only for those who aren't following after the Lord, who haven't heard his voice, and you are a Christian, I mean, you, you've repented of your sins. And so you might think this message is nice, but it doesn't really deal with me. I just felt prompted in my spirit to remind us out of Romans 7. This isn't in the notes, artist. So Romans 7 tells us. I'm going to read it out of the message. This is Apostle Paul. But I need something more, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I, can, I can't will it. I decide to do good, but I, I don't really do it. 
I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions are, are as they are. They don't result in actions. And something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin's there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's command, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me rebel. And just when I least expect it, they're, they're taking charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at my end's rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't, the real quest, isn't that the real question? Can you hear the desperation in Paul? I want to do the right thing, but sin keeps lurking there. It's like it has this snare on me. Listen to verse 25. The answer that God is Jesus Christ. He can and he does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Where I wanted to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin, I do something totally different. It continues in verse in chapter 8. And with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. That those who enter into Christ, being here for us, no longer have to be under this continual low-lying black cloud. We can have new power of operation. It's the spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air. It's freeing you from the fatal lifetime of brutality and tyranny in the hands of sin and death. God set, listen to this, God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as some remote or unimportant thing. His son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess. He entered the struggling humanity in order to set us right once and for all. Sin shall not be your master because of Jesus. Because the cur- he became the curse on the tree. He took upon the sin. So the sin that you've been struggling with, you don't have to struggle with anymore. You can be free. It doesn't have to hold you. I know the enemies lie to you and you believe that lie. But today... It's time to say no more lies, I'm going to believe. I'm not eating from that tree anymore. I'm ready. I'm ready to come, and I'm ready to give it all to Jesus. Who took it? He took it. In your life, in my life, sin was the resident. It was the one that tried to set residence in our heart. But thanks be to God. When Jesus comes, he says, get out. And if we'll just allow Jesus not to just be resident, but to be president of our lives. 
Oh, what a change it will be. So I want to invite you today. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads in this room. And if you're online, I'm not going to have you make some kind of thing. But you, you know that God has been speaking to you. You've been struggling with a sin. And you know that the Lord has been telling you it's time to not only ask for forgiveness. You know, repentance means more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance means a change of mind. Because if we'll change our mind, God will change our heart. And if God will change our heart, then our behavior will change. Listen, it all starts with coming to him and saying, I confess. I am a sinner and I need a savior. Confession that day started. And can I tell you, confession is needed every day. Every single day of my life, I need to confess. Because the Lord is trying, he's creating in me a clean heart. He's creating in you a clean heart. So this isn't just about those who have never been made Jesus Lord. And, and if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life and haven't asked him to forgive you your sins, today's your day. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. I don't think you're here for just a, about you've never done that and you showed up today. There's no coincidence. God's brought you here. But also God is calling those who have been struggling with sin to come. So I'm going to invite you this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to come, to come forward. And we're going to have some of the prayer team. And, and it's okay. You know what, what sin wants to do? Sin wants us always to hide. To say, I'm not the one in need. So I want to say, if you even are on the prayer team, and you need to come do it. It's time. It's time to come. Thank you, Lord. God is calling to us. He's saying, where are you? Where are you? Lord, today, today we're turning our hearts back. Today we declare that our ears would be open to your voice. Lord, we won't, we won't look to hide ourselves from you or justify our actions in light of your word. Show us, God. Show us the areas that aren't pleasing to you, that we turn to you. If you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life today and you want to do that, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody in this room? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you've been struggling with a sin in your life, something that just has become a struggle, the scripture says something for us as believers. It says to, to confess your sins one to another so that you would be free. And I'm not asking you to come up and make a public confession. And maybe there's somebody in this room that you would confess to. Say, you know, I'm really just struggling with this. And I want to be free of that. Let's take a moment.
you feel God pulling at your heart today for any reason and you want prayer, I'm going to invite you to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you. Timothy, will you lead us in some worship on that? Sing, oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And forgiveness was born with the precious blood.